In popular culture, we often hear the phrase, the key to one's heart. If not used as an expression of romantic sentiment, it might describe the things that unlock one's desires. For example, my weakness for sugary snacks. Though I doubt that our Lord meant either of these things when he handed over to St. Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yet something about this scripture passage strikes me as relevant to our modern concept of heart religion. Now, what exactly is meant by heart religion? If you're at all familiar with certain revivalist movements of the 18th and 19th centuries, then you have a pretty good idea of, what it, of how it works. There was then, as it is now, a tendency to overemphasize the direct communication of God with his people by means of one's private experiences or the inner voice that illumines the, the individual's conscience. Of course, as Catholics, we don't downplay the importance of experience. In fact, it is crucial to one's progress in the spiritual life. But as history can attest, these experiences are often subjective and require both a tradition and authority to interpret them. Heart religion is the tendency to subordinate reason to one's feelings, to equate God with my emotional response. When I'm happy, then God's pleased with me. When I'm down, then God's upset with me, and it's up to me to do something. But from a traditional standpoint, this is not only equivalent to idolatry. The heart has, up until recently, always been associated with the seat of decision-making and the affective counterbalance of the intellect. Any concept of a genuine spirituality these days is threatened from both sides. On the one hand, our feelings take the place of objective truth. God becomes a projection of myself. And on the other, the cold rationalists push, push aside emotions as something harmful or foolish. Yet today's feast can teach us how to integrate the two. The gospel passage in which Jesus says he will build his church upon the foundation of Peter is often used apologetically to defend the doctrine of papal infallibility. This is, of course, legitimate. However, another way of looking at it lies elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke. There, Jesus says, Neither shall they say, Lo, there it is, or lo, here it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Seen in this light, Peter's keys unlock, as it were, a deeper meaning behind the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. This reality is not exclusively an exterior one, what we would call the visible church, but an interior acceptance of God's revealed truths by means of an experiential faith. So for the sake of simplicity, let's call this conformity of the mind and heart to the will of God, the kingdom of heaven. After all, we pray in the Our Father, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Our goal then in the spiritual life is to submit all of ourselves, mind, body, and soul, to the benevolent will and authority of the Blessed Trinity. But this requires an ongoing relationship. A relationship is a two way street. To love someone is to know someone, and to know someone means learning more about that person by means of communication talking and listening, taking an interest in the other, 
making amends when necessary, etc. If our experience of God is purely intellectual or purely emotional, or perhaps something teetering between the two, then we can stabilize this by working on our relationship skills, how we interact with each other as a church. We must take time to pray, but just as important, we must take time, even within prayer, to listen, to discern God's will for us. This task of listening and identifying God's action within our life is primarily mediated through the church and only secondarily through our daily circumstances. Why is this? Well, aside from the fact that the sacraments are the source and summit of our Christian faith, we have a sure and safe knowledge of God's will for us in the Church's scriptural interpretation, in her liturgy, in doctrine and dogma, and in the teaching and instruction of her ordained ministers. Remember that Christ says to St. Peter, You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. In other words, he who hears you, hears me. Faith, then, founded on the confession of Jesus' divinity, is manifested through our participation in the Church's visible structure. This institutional aspect of our relationship with God is absolutely vital to our understanding of ourselves, in fact. We, as members of Christ's body, require each other for the full revelation of God's will and purpose for our life. This homily, for instance, is perhaps my poor attempt to help you towards that goal. So to end here, I would like to point out that for St. Paul, the whole purpose of an individual's experience of God, his or her private prayer life, is to help build up the body of Christ and bolster the faith of its members. Heart religion has no place in such an integrated vision of the Church. Let us hear in his letter to the Ephesians how St. Paul ties all these themes together. In particular, listen to how he uses the word faith in connection with the established hierarchy. He says, and I quote, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God.